Welcome to SL Advisors Talks Markets. I'm Simon Lack. At SL Advisors, we know it's important to stay ahead of inflation. We think about where interest rates are going and what this means for markets. Pipeline companies may offer inflation protection through the energy transition. We identify other sectors with the ability to maintain their margins when prices are rising. Nothing we say should be construed as a sale of securities, which can only be made through the relevant prospectus. In this week's podcast, I discuss the true cost of the energy transition. The president also made the point yesterday that ambition, whether it is in relation to mitigation or in relation to adaptation, won't be achieved unless there is significant means of implementation made available by developed countries. That's South Africa's Environment Minister, Barbara Creasy. The energy transition brings together two opposing forces. Rich world countries like America and the EU want lower CO2 emissions. Developing countries like China and India want higher living standards. There's a very clear link between incomes and energy use. These countries want to enjoy American living standards, so they need to use more energy to drive more, cool their homes, and power up their iPhones. It means we have conflicting goals. Reducing emissions means using less energy. Raising living standards means using more energy. How do you reconcile the two? With money from rich countries. This has long been understood by policymakers as part of the solution. Rich countries already pledged $100 billion a year to help developing countries pay for the energy transition. The problem is that even this amount isn't being given, and some think it needs to be much bigger. Uh, You would understand that it's going to cost a great deal of money to change the trajectory of energy generation in this country. It's going to cost a great deal of money to introduce different forms of modalities in the transport sector. It's going to require a good deal of investment to change the way in which manufacturing is taking place at the moment. It is a negotiation. Rich countries can afford to pay something to developing countries if reducing emissions is important. But I think it's interesting that in South Africa, a member of the government is going on national TV to tell South African voters that they should expect rich world money to help pay for climate change. Whereas there are no political leaders on TV in the US warning us that we need to be prepared to fork over some cash. Well, I think that South Africa, together with our our fellow African nations in the African group of negotiators at the climate summit, would first of all be concerned that historical pledges for means of implementation and particularly capitalization of the Green Climate Fund haven't materialized. I think what we're also concerned about is that we're seeing a shift from grant financing to loan financing. And you would understand that we have uh, a budget ceiling, we're an indebted country, we need to make sure that whatever pathways we tread do not lead to further indebtedness. Just a few days ago, South Africa's Environment Minister Barbara Creasy suggested that the true amount of money needed from rich world countries isn't $100 billion a year, but really $750 billion per year. 
If that bill was split up amongst OECD countries, which is the group of rich world countries, based on relative GDP, America's share would be about a third. We'd be paying $250 billion a year into a fund to help emerging countries with the energy transition. There may be ethical reasons for this to be the right thing. So climate change is not one thing that has resulted because of recent actions. It has the historical actions. And who, who is historically responsible for? That is this chart. USA has 25% of historical emissions. That's Prakash Javadeka, formerly India's environment minister. His accent is a little thick, but he's making the point that CO2 emissions have been generated over a long time and that America is responsible for about 25% of all the man-made CO2 generated in history. So he thinks America should shoulder a big part of the problem, presumably a quarter of it. It sounds morally persuasive, except that America didn't stop India from growing following its independence from Britain in 1947. India chose to run a closed economy that protected its domestic industries, wasn't open for trade, and therefore grew slowly. That was their choice. Their living standards and energy use grew very slowly. We didn't do that. We didn't force China to adopt communism and to endure similar lost decades of low growth and famine through the 1980s while Western nations were growing. So the history of CO2 emissions needs to be looked at in this way. Developing countries, and isn't it amazing how they're always still developing? I can't think of a country that's ever graduated from developing to developed most developing countries have the living standards they have today because of their own past choices. I'm not saying they don't deserve some help, but don't blame America and other Western nations for making better choices. The COP26 in Glasgow later this year is the world's latest effort to keep moving forward on reducing CO2 emissions. At a recent meeting, they couldn't even agree to phase out coal because developing countries like China and India see increased coal consumption as crucial to their more important goal of raising living standards through higher energy use. China burns half the world's coal and has plans to build roughly as much new coal burning capacity as we have in America today. If we want developing countries to reduce their coal use, we're going to have to pay them. The irony here is that America is better able to cope with a warming planet than any developing country. If we need to build seawalls and add air conditioning to Seattle, maybe that's a better use for that $250 billion per year that South Africa thinks we need to provide. The bottom line is that we're on track to test the scientists' predictions about the impact of higher CO2 emissions. I don't see much to suggest the world is coming together to get emissions down to zero in 30 years or indeed ever. We'll deal with the consequences. Humans will adapt. Life will go on. There just isn't enough political agreement for what's needed. The media in America makes it sound as if banning new natural gas supply in Massachusetts and blanketing the landscape with solar panels and windmills will solve the problem. In fact, the planet's future climate will get decided by China. India, and other countries where energy growth is high. They want to get paid trillions of dollars by us to change their behavior. Let's see how that works out. 
Thank you for listening to SL Advisors Talks Markets. To find more episodes like this one, go to our website, sl-advisors.com. There you can sign up for our blog, follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and follow us on Twitter, at Simon Lack.